This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bear Boat Alaska, a pure DIY hunting game with one of their 37-foot adventure yachts. You and five of your friends can hunt, fish, set crab pots, shrimp pots, and take DIY to the next level. Bear Boat Alaska is locally owned by a Ketchikan resident who lives here year-round. Call Larry at 907-617-4542 or go to bearboatalaska.com. That's B-A-R-E boatalaska.com and tell Larry you heard about it on this podcast. Will Collins back. Welcome back to the podcast. Yay. Thanks a lot, man. Glad to, glad to be here. Uh, I've been enjoying following your stuff and, uh, picking into your book as well. So good to, good to talk to you guys. Nice. Thanks. Um, so you just got back from the Yukon. You bet, buddy. Yeah, it was a blast. <laughs> you, uh, we previewed that, I think it was in, I don't know, May or June or something like that, uh, in the, in the late spring. And, uh, now it's over. Are you kind of, uh, are you still on the high or are you kind of like, oh man, it's, it's over. <laughs> oh, it's a little bit of a mix. It's today was the first day back to real work, uh, after the trip. So settling in for sure. But, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a mix. I'm still riding the high and still trying to plan future trips. So I still got a little sparkle in there. Yeah. That's, that's the worst when you head back to work or whatever, and you have this, memory but it's slowly it's not really fading i guess but just that euphoria of doing something like that uh, on that magnitude and then you're going back to the regular life and it's you're so excited you you did it and you're looking forward to the next trip but sometimes the time in between can be a little tough oh you're totally right and i think you hit the nail on the head is that you know as much as you never think it will the memory fades almost instantaneously like we were going it was an eight-day trip we did up uh on the Yukon River, a canoe, backcountry canoe trip uh, through my company, Buffalo Roamer uh, Outdoors. And uh, even on day eight, we were going through our day seven, we were going through, going through the meals, going through our campsites. And it was even foggy then from, you know, five <laughs> or six days prior. It was like, what did we have to eat? And I remember the couple main things, but not everything in between, you know? I know. It's crazy how that works. And you you get day two and day three confused and wait, which day had the, the worst mosquitoes and yeah. man, it's, uh, it's crazy. So, uh, kind of talk me maybe a little bit through the last minute preparations and some of the, some of the logistical things, then get into kind of the details of, of the trip itself. Sure. So, um, if you can, I'll start the other way around, if you don't mind, I'll, oh, I'll yeah. go the, the, the details and, and then, uh, get in, get into the preparations. So the details were, it was a, uh, Eight day, seven nights, uh, backcountry canoe trip on the Yukon River out of uh, Whitehorse, Yukon Territory, um, Canada. And uh, I had done the trip once before this section in 2018. I I did uh, the entire Yukon River, 2,000 plus miles from uh, above, I guess technically it's south of Whitehorse where the river starts, uh, all the way to the Bering Sea across the interior of Alaska. And on this trip, I was guiding it. So uh, it was a hosted wilderness trip that I organized uh, with uh, started with uh, five of us. One guy had to back out last minute. So it ended up being four of us all together, uh, three guys and myself. And we had known each other. Uh, we went to summer camp, funny enough, together 14 years ago and ha hadn't seen each other since mm. and uh we all hopped on they all hopped on the trip and 
yeah, it was it was an absolute blast. And the logistics, fairly simple, honestly. Uh, you fly into Whitehorse, the Yukon Territory, get off the airplane. Uh, we had a hotel the first night, and then there's an outfitter there that we use, uh, canoe people. Um, so I organize and rent all the gear, most of the gear, not all the gear, maybe all the big stuff, canoes, cooking stuff. Um, what else did I rent? A few other odds and ends group gear things from this outfitter. And then we push off from the, from Whitehorse and say sayonara and see you eight days later. And uh, yeah, paddle through the wilderness of uh, Yukon Territory. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. There's a lot of mining history in that area with uh, White Horse and is it uh, Lake Labarge? Is that the one that's totally. right next there? Because that was uh, in the cremation of Sam McGee, that uh, Robert Service poem. Did you just kind of sit around for a few days and read Robert Service poetry before you got on the canoes? Oh, I'm so glad you brought it up. That was one of the highlights of the trip, honestly. Um, I had uh, I had done the same thing when I was up there before, and I brought it up, and the guys just loved it, and I did too. Yeah, we did uh, uh, readings from the Spell of the Yukon, Robert Service, uh, pretty much every morning, especially cremation of Sam McGee. Um, and yeah, there's one that's still on the tip of my tongue, rhyme of the remittance, man. Mm. It opens up, uh, there's a four pronged buck a swinging in the shadow of my cabin and, uh, it roamed the velvet Valley till today. Um, but I tracked it by the river and I killed it on the mountain and I've, uh, something, something along those. It's just, oh man, it's just, it, it's, it's great. And, uh, yeah, that area is filled with gold mining, the Klondike Gold Rush, and that's that's kind of the the theme, not theme, but the you know the the aura around the area is yeah. the gold rush. Yeah, it's pretty funny that, uh, and I'm not sure where the line is, but sometimes it can be incredibly cliche to like read into the wild at the magic bus just because it's become such a a ridiculous thing. But then other times, like if you're reading Russell Chatham and you are fishing the Russian River or uh, the Smith River River in Northern California, like dude, it's right here. This this here here this is yeah. this is it. Or uh, some some Mark Twain stuff in Calaveras County. Like sometimes you just feel that gravity. Like dude, it, it was this Jack London and some of those areas there. Um, totally. it's, it's pretty cool to to read that in, in those areas. Is there anywhere else that you've oh. kind of been? I know kind of off topic a little bit here, but uh, any other books that you kind of paired to uh, a trip or, or thought, hey, man, what's the local literature? And I'm going to kind of read this on the shore. You know, I, I have a little bit. I should be better. You mentioned Mark Twain on the Mississippi. Um, that was a big one for me. Um, reading Life on the Mississippi, uh, you know, Huck Finn, uh, all those ones, uh, and stopping in Mark Twain's hometown. And, um, oh, now it's uh, escaping me. What is his town? Uh, regardless, it's on the Mississippi. So I, I also paddled the Mississippi, the entirety of the Mississippi in 2017. So reading that stuff along the river was uh, amazing as well. And just thinking about him uh, like steamboating, uh, steamboating up and down the barges up and down the river. Um, also there's a, there's a music album, uh, John Hartford, who's a bluegrass, uh, bluegrass uh, guy has a great album called, uh, that is also escaping me, but, uh, it's all about 
steamboating and piloting the Mississippi. Uh, and that album paired Grace to the River, too. But, uh, yeah. Sometimes that makes me a little bit sad because you, in reading or in listening, you discover, you see what's been lost since it was written. I went to Walden Pond and I thought, oh, man, this is... <laughs> people swimming in it. I mean, you got, uh, you know, 60, 70 year old people who are out there swimming and good on them. It's great, but it's just, there's zero isolation, zero of that escape that, uh, Thoreau was looking for when he, when he went out there. But of course that's going to happen over a hundred and you know, 150 years or so. Um, yeah. but yeah, you get reminded of, of the way the fishing was and that frontier spirit and that endurance is just the, the breed of person who existed back then and then what they were capable of compared to today. So it's, it's awesome to read. It's awesome to pair that, but also some little bit of sadness comes with the fact that that level of, I don't want to freedom or independence or that lifestyle doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. I think there's, I, I would say two things to that. One is, uh, I think there is still some of that if you go and search, I mean, you're up, uh, you're up in that neck of the woods. You're there, there's, there's some characters around you. I'm sure that, yeah. uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's different, but you know, there's a lot of people who don't want to be found and a lot of people who, who are just kind of quietly going about their way. Um, I think it's still out there a little yeah. bit. Um, and also it's, it is a weird dichotomy of, uh, being a writer or a, uh, podcaster or whatever, or a guide, uh, and bringing people to these amazing places and showing people these amazing places and talking about these amazing places. Uh, I think we talked about this on the last one that we did, but yeah, it's just an interesting dichotomy because, you know, Walden pound, there probably wouldn't be a bunch of people swimming there right now. It may still be a nice little wilderness place if Thoreau had never written about it, mm -hmm. but I still think we're better off for him having written about it, you know? Yeah, for sure. We romanticize, or I do, a lot of people do in, in the writing and, and podcasting realm. You know, we romanticize that historical state, and we, we sometimes for, or often forget the reality of what it was to live back then. Uh, hunters and anglers probably are the worst about this because we look back at, oh, my gosh, be, hunting was so much better and the fishing was so much better and everything else. Well, yeah, you know, you also had real teeth. You didn't have wooden teeth, you know, and <laughs> we, we weren't dying of, of tetanus. You know, we weren't dying of, yeah. uh, you know, we had solutions for, for a whole bunch of illnesses and whatnot. So we take our recreational ideas about how amazing it would be to catch and fish, tons of fish, and, but you weren't doing that back then. You weren't, uh, unless you were very, very wealthy, you weren't throwing fish back. You know, you weren't sorting yeah. through elk just to shoot the biggest ones. So you could talk about it. And I, I would, I would get that, uh, bet that some people that don't have or wouldn't have the social media dopamine dump might not be as interested in some of the backcountry hiking oh, no, and, no. and hunting and stuff like that they do. So it's, it's, it, it is, and it, there's a whole part of the conversation there. So when I look back at, <laughs> at some of the times I've been tempted to say that I was born in the wrong generation, I think, well, I'm probably not even hard, hardcore enough to live back then, A, and then B, there's a lot of other things that come with living during that time. Yeah, two, two more quick points on that. Uh, one is I found it fascinating tying it back to the Yukon uh, that <clears throat> when we were up there, we came back from uh, – we got a ride back from CarMax, which is the uh, the First Nations village we were picked up in and brought back to uh, Whitehorse. 
And on the shuttle back, it was a really awesome First Nations gal who was driving us and she was telling us all about the area and where she grew up. Her family grew up on uh, Lake LaBarge there and from the cremation of Sam McGee. Um, just stunningly beautiful area, <clears throat> you know, had fish camp uh, that right at the uh, outlet of LaBarge where it, it uh, the, uh, LaBarge is kind of like an, a lake in the middle of the Yukon. The Yukon flows into it and flows out of it. So right at the outlet there, uh, her family had fish camp and she was telling us all kinds of stories, but one of which was that many of the creeks in that area, she worked in the mining miners recorder office for the government in Whitehorse there, the capital of Yukon uh, for, she said, I forget how long, but for a long time. And there are still people like you and I out there living in these little uh, trappers cabins and tiny little shacks during the summer and just individuals panning for gold and making their living doing that. That's awesome. Living in the woods. She said, shoot that. If they take the gold out of Yukon, they would have to bring it into uh, the mining recorder's office. So she would record all of the claims. And she said in particular, there was these two German guys who would uh, just crush it every year and bring huh. in uh, bring in like peanut butter jars full of uh, full of gold is what she wow. said. <laughs> so that's wild. pretty wild. Yeah. That is awesome. Um, and another little side note, and then we can move on, is that uh, I've talked with a lot of folks uh, on my podcast, Buff- the Buffalo Roamer, uh, Buffalo Roamer Outdoors, uh, who have done either paddled or walked uh, the Lewis and Clark Trail, uh, so basically the Missouri River, um, and then over to to the Pacific Ocean, and that is a fascinating talk about like the historical context of being in the exact same place as Lewis and Clark, possibly even on the exact same day. Uh, whatever, 150 years, whatever it is, 200 years uh, after them, uh, and seeing like them write about the exact same landscape because they were so scientific with their mm. uh, recordings. Yeah. It's it's kind of neat to be able to to trace that, and it's been cool to talk to people and their different perspectives about that. Yeah, for sure. So history aside, you guys got uh, got rolling there. What, uh, what was that like? Oh, it was amazing. So the first part of the river, it's really, uh, it's that glacial runoff, uh, which maybe you're familiar with, uh, in different parts of Alaska. Uh, but it's like that turquoise iridescent color river. Um, just amazing. And it was real high water this year. So, uh, when you walk up to the river for the first time as a group, you know, you're a little, the, the blood starts flowing a little bit. You're like, Ooh, the water, water's moving. Um, and yeah, it's a fairly large river, even right at the start. Um, so we push off from the outfitter right in downtown Whitehorse and uh, we're off down river, um, floating huge mountains all along. Um, it was the, the forecast called for terrible weather the whole time ended up being nearly perfect. We had one day of rain out of the eight days um, and it was cool because we were kind of dodging different weather systems uh you know with with the skies and the lands being so big up there and the river moving moving quick it was probably moving i don't know maybe five miles an hour or so um and without paddling and uh so you can you can kind of chase and follow different weather systems so you'll see like a storm coming from 
the mountain ridge over on the left-hand side, but you'll be flowing so fast you'll pass it or you'll see one up ahead engulfing the river and you enter the storm and it's raining everywhere. But when you're in the middle of it, you can see where it's sunny just around the next bend. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that's, that's always kind of fun. When we drove over the Yukon a couple of days ago, it's, it's, it's so wide and big that the current is almost imperceptible. And then you really look at yes. it and you can see that it really, really moves. Um, how is that for someone who has obviously been on the Mississippi, but you've also been on some, some faster water. Do you kind of like that the pace of just being able to go five miles an hour, if you don't do anything, just kind of keep things uh, going down straight. Is that uh, a nice pace to get into? Or do you kind of get, Hey, let's move it up a little bit because the weather, but also let's, let's get to shore and hang out and eat a little bit. Um, I think both, uh, I, I love like a fast moving river. Um, I'm sorry here. Can you hear this, uh, beeping? No. Yeah. Did you say no? Yeah, I can't hear it. Okay. Hang on one second. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That is mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Okay. Um, I, I love the fast pace of the river. Uh, I think it's one of the things that make river trips awesome is that a, there's typically not many portages uh, unless you have to worry about a dam and the Yukon it's about as wild as a river as you can get in terms of that. There's uh, one dam well above Whitehorse and then it's free, free flowing all the way to the Bering Sea. Um, so yeah, it's It's great just to be able to get on the water and float and yeah, be able to make miles. It's, it's cool to be able to see different horizons and, you know, see, see a point in the horizon that you'd like to get to, you make it there and then you pass it, uh, all in a day. Whereas backpacking or whatever it may be, it's just a little bit slower moving. Um, so I, I think the speed of the river trips are awesome. <clears throat> awesome. And you're right. It is kind of imperceptible about how how fast or how quick it's moving especially when it's that big and every time every time you're on the water you feel in total control in the boat it's you know never a worry at all and then every time you get off the river and like pull into an eddy or 
take a step off the river and you look at the water, you're just like, wow, that, that river's cooking. Yeah. Well, so what would, uh, what was the canoe, uh, setup that you had? How many, uh, per canoe, uh, what kind of canoes, all that? So we ran two canoes, two, uh, clipper fiberglass canoes, uh, made in BC and they're great boats. We had one of them was 18 and a half feet and the other one was, uh, 17 or 16 and a half feet. Um, and we had four people. So one person in each boat and yeah, they worked great. Um, we had, uh, one, uh, like blue barrel, uh, blue food barrel full of food. I don't know if you're familiar with those, uh, they're fairly popular in the canoeing world. Um, and we had a cooler and one, uh, like mess kit, we called it just like, a. uh, bin filled with all of our pots and pans and such like a big Tupperware type bin um and then all of our personal gear loaded into the boats and that's what we lived with for eight days nice what was the food food uh food was amazing so we had uh just a quick rundown of the menu for dinners we had uh burgers steak the first two nights we did pizza with brownies for dessert we had uh uh, South Indian fried rice, um, was, chicken fried is, rice. Is this all like cooked from scratch ish or are you talking about unique flavors of freeze dried meals? Uh, it's cooked from scratch ish. Okay. Just, uh, I just want to make sure that you weren't adding water, <laughs> making it sound really exotic. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's not that far from that, but it's, uh, it's a step up from the freeze dried stuff. It's gotcha. basically just like the, uh, quick stuff from uh, the grocery store. But yeah, I get all of it from the grocery store. Gotcha. With canoeing, you have a little more luxury than backpacking where you can kind of bring some weight. Um, so yeah, we did like fresh burgers and steaks the first two nights because we had the cooler so we could eat some fresh meat. Um, uh, what else? We did the fried rice, chicken fried rice. We had uh, no-baked cheesecake one night, which was delicious. We did... Uh, Chili with rice and cornbread in the Dutch oven. Nice. Uh, cornbread was a hit. Um, yeah, all kinds of good stuff. Nice. And then how long per day were you floating paddling versus uh, time on the beach? We spent most of the day paddling. Uh, however, with it being longer days up there, um, we kind of had our days shifted back. So we would take pretty slow, easy mornings, a couple cups of coffee, uh, breakfast around the fire, uh, pack up camp, read a couple Robert service poems, um, pack up the boats. And typically we would float. There was a few different, uh, days where we did more or less, but generally speaking, you'd be on the water, uh, for two to three hours in the morning and then two to three hours in the afternoon. Hmm. Um, and that would kind of make up your day. Now there was one day where we had a longer day. Um, one of the campsites we wanted to take was occupied, which is the only time that happened. Um, so we floated a little longer, but it was no big deal. Made some miles and yeah. And then some days, one day, like the last day, uh, we paddled 12 miles to our takeout on the last day. So, mm. Did you see many other people on the boat, on the, on the river? Uh, not many, no. We saw that group that uh, had the campsite we wanted, and we saw maybe three 
other groups. Uh, no real interaction other than just them kind of floating by. Yeah. So they were recreational types. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Doing the same type thing as we were. Yeah. The, at the crossing that we went over, there is a river camp type thing and 18 or so tables where you can eat at the cafe and big old parking lot for uh, boats and trailers and, and, uh, cars and whatnot, trucks. But it had kind of an old feeling to it, and the parking lot was somewhat empty, and this is kind of the type of year where you, there should be kings, and there should be uh, chum in the river, but because the runs have been so poor lately and they've had emergency shutdowns, the cafe had kind of an eerie feeling just because it was, hmm. I, the, the people worked there were awesome. There was um, a lady up front, there was a lady that was cooking, food was excellent, but it just had this sort of kind of run, run down, you know, the good times are over type feel to it, and it which which was kind of sad. It was also, we were there at, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, so it was pretty early. Um, I've, uh, but, yeah. I've been to that spot, I assume uh, you're talking about on the Hall Road, uh, yeah. where the pipeline crosses there. Yeah. Yeah, I've had some funny uh, funny times at that spot, actually, but um, there is, uh, there's an interesting cat out there, or at least there was when I was there, uh, selling you know, all kinds of Alaska tourist stuff, uh, mm. furs and hides and yeah. stuff, stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> he had some funny stories. Um, when were you there? Like what time of year? So this was when I did the trip, I've been there twice. Uh, the one time I was there, it would have been in, uh, August when, or maybe no, it was july when i was in the brooks range and then the more recent time would have been 2018 and that would have been uh probably late july mm. and it was yeah. it was it hopping both times or was it kind of just it was the funniest thing actually the funniest dichotomy the first time i was there uh it was pretty hopping it was like a truck kind of i would describe it as like a truck stop uh like american burgers and yeah people kind of in and out and great food uh yeah well, kind of the last stop before cold foot i believe um and the second time i was there in 2018 i was so pumped to get off of the river at the U on the yukon there uh and get a burger and a beer and just gorge myself and we got off and uh i don't know if it's still this way but they had switched it to like a chinese restaurant um no way really yeah is it not that way anymore no he had a slam and bacon standard american <sighs> breakfast yeah really that is so funny because uh yeah when i was there in 2018 they changed it to a chinese restaurant the whole place was like full of uh full of noodles uh like boxes of noodles that they were like storing uh and they had said they switched it up because in the winter they had a booming uh Chinese tourist industry yeah, for the Northern uh, Lights. For the Northern Lights. Yeah. Huh. But uh, interesting to hear that apparently it switched back. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was I was kind of wondering about that and how far north some of those tourist buses went. But that's, I guess it's somewhat further than the, the turnoff to, to Manly Hot Springs. But uh, I think, you know, China Hot Springs has their big resort type thing and man manly does too but yeah that was kind of interesting kind of bizarre i guess it makes sense on some level but yeah this place was playing old 80s and 90s country music and 
<laughs> with the, the the bacon was perfectly cooked and there was uh eggs and grease it was good well that's good to hear maybe they uh maybe they weren't quite getting the tourism boom they, they thought they might but uh hopefully they're doing all right but uh can't kick a wrong with eggs and bacon right no for sure absolutely not yeah it's just a weird feeling some of these spots along the way and what keeps people there um it's so, so great that people are willing to provide that service for those of us who want to just kind of go through and pass through. Um, and I think the temptation would be to compare and say, well, you know, why, who would live here? Why would anyone live here? You know, they must have nothing going on. Well, if they weren't here, man, you wouldn't be getting a burger. So, uh, yeah. you know, there should be some appreciation, but it does make you wonder and question like, what is it like? And of all the options that are out there, because a lot of these people, they don't seem like they just never left. They just, they chose this. And yeah, so you absolutely. think, man, what frame of reference is that? And like, they, they, where did they come from? And then uh, how did they decide that this is where they wanted to, to stay? So it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. Some interesting stories, I'm sure. Everybody's got one. And those people probably have uh, more interesting stories than most, I would guess. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there might be a shelf life on it. I wonder if uh, some people are there for a little bit and run that, or it could be seasonal. But, uh, yeah, you never know. Kind of interesting. Were there any interesting towns along uh, the float route that you were able to kind of stop off and, and get a little culture? Uh, yes, there was a few, actually. Um, most of them were, like, old historical sites uh, preserved by the government, uh, by the Canadian government, uh, they, most of them, you know, kind of surrounded that Klondike gold rush era. So there was the coolest one was there's a, uh, uh, at Hudalinkwa, uh, which is the confluence of the Yukon and the Teslin river in, uh, in Yukon territory. Um, there's like an old wooden, uh, stern wheeler. It's massive. Um, and it was, it's on an Island in the river and it was an old shipyard uh, in like the mid to late 1800s, early, early 1900s. And they had beached this old uh, stern wheeler. Uh, it's basically like a big John boat, like a skiff that you would run on the river today, but massive and all made out of wood. Um, and yeah, they beached it. I guess the, uh, it was kind of constructed poorly. And they beached it and used it, uh, stripped it for parts uh, until eventually, you know, there was no more community or no more business there. And so there it sits basically in its entirety. It's, it's pretty awesome. Hmm. What yeah, other? You can see inside uh, like this, the huge boiler and uh, yeah, the huge wood rudders in the back. Uh, pretty, pretty cool. Wow. What other. Uh things along the way did you kind of see that were interesting unique or i'm sure you saw wildlife and whatnot too but uh other relics that were pretty sweet um a couple things mostly uh as far as like you know structures and such uh old cabins like old wood yard um stuff basically all supporting that klondike gold rush uh bringing supplies uh the industry around bringing supplies and all that stuff. Uh, a couple old trading posts, a um, couple old native villages and stops that uh, have since been abandoned or fish camps. Um, that stuff's all cool, but mostly the best part is just, I mean, the amazing scenery and the amazing wilderness. It's just, uh, 
you know, you really, really feel like you're out there and it's massive mountains jetting right down into the river, which is awesome. Uh, the colors between like that iridescent blue green color of the, uh, of the glacial runoff river compared to the like forest green, uh, of the mountains and like the granite, uh, all together, it just like flows together. A painter would have a heyday. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty spectacular wilderness. Hmm. What's kind of the difference uh, or is there a difference? You're in a different country, so there's different regulations and there's different, you know, political, all that cultural differences, but you might not be able to access that because you're out in the water. Did it feel like it was rugged? Did it feel rural? Did it feel like something that would have been found in the United States or was it like, oh, this is definitely Canada? Well, I would say both. I would say both. You fly through, you know, you're in Canada, so you definitely know you're in Canada. It's funny. I forget. Uh, they're your neighbors to the uh, to the east. For, for me, they're the neighbors to the north. Um, and you forget because they, I guess because they look like you and sound like you and are close, you forget that it is a different country. Uh, you know, it's Things are done a little differently, and uh, a lot of French influence uh, in Whitehorse and in that area. Um, a lot of French Quebec people there, uh, as well as just French people. Um, also, like a lot of other uh, uh, kind of interesting cultural influences there. There's like a lot of Indian and uh, uh, so I want to say Somalian immigrants there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so that throws kind of a cool twist to it. Bunch of interesting Asian restaurants. Um, but yeah, you definitely know you're in, uh, you're in Canada. It's just slightly different. And, uh, also it's great though. Love it. And, uh, also, yeah, it's rugged. It's rugged as hell. It's, it's, it feels really wild when you're out there. There's only two, uh, real takeout points, uh, the whole eight days. So if something were to happen, you know, somebody's got to come from Whitehorse probably and either, you know, jet boat downriver or come from CarMax, which is the takeout 200 miles away and jet boat upriver. But even that would come from Whitehorse. So you, it, it feels like you're out there. Yeah. It's, it's pretty raw and remote. Yeah. I've driven through just the very Southwest section of British Columbia coming up uh, from Washington and then going to Prince Rupert and putting my truck on a boat. So I've only been in a very small part of it. But two things that kind of stuck out to me as far as culture goes, you drive through these towns, they, they look like they could be in Alaska. They look like they could be in Washington. Um, but uh, one of the things was going into a Walmart and just how friendly and how clean <laughs> everything was. And I thought, oh, man, this is not the same stereotype. You're 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 people of walmart you know facebook page definitely doesn't have any pictures taken in canada because it just seemed just so much different the lady at the front seemed like she worked at a hallmark you know hallmark is kind of that store of just friendly wonderful people selling cards and that's kind of how that lady treated her job at walmart uh so that that was that was pretty interesting and then at the, the campsites they had uh yeah was it one maybe one loony uh you could take a shower and everything was clean and so it seemed like those those parks and those the campsites were uh, maybe a little bit better taken care of, not only by the uh, 
by the government, but also by the users. It seems some of the unfortunate uh, things that happen to a lot of the American places is that uh, you know there's graffiti, there's drawings, there's you know just general stupidity and some some trashiness. That doesn't say that it doesn't happen in Canada too, because people are people. Um, but I think the sad reality is not enough people maybe to keep uh, everything nice at a lot of our parks, camps, camp uh, sites, and showers. Um, and then also entitled users who kind of trash things. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a fair assessment from my observations too. Uh, a, the people in Canada are super friendly. Um, yeah, super friendly and willing to help out. Uh, and B, yeah, all the amenities, super nice. Uh, uh, we did, I, th- I think we ended up staying pretty much at all like marked campsites. Uh, not marked as in i don't know it's it's not like a reservation type thing or anything like that but it's just like there's a fire ring maybe a picnic table uh and possibly an outhouse and all the or like a pit toilet or something all of uh all the ones that had that type amenity to it uh yeah we're, we're awesome and and kept up well and yeah i agree in fact uh, kind of a funny story i'll make it quick but uh there was a guy when we when we flew into Whitehorse. I didn't know how we were going to store our bags that we flew with, um, so I was trying to figure that out. And I found a random number online, called uh, called the guy because it had baggage uh, somehow correlated to it. Called the guy and asked, said, "Hey, I saw online that uh, you know you you." handle luggage or baggage uh we're looking for some place to store our bags and he's like oh i don't know how you got this number there was a baggage store here that sold baggage about 20 years ago he he goes he goes but uh i have a cleaning shop in town and yeah uh, no problem i can help you out and store your bags um so the guy is offers to help us store our bags just from a random number on the internet uh just a random guy in Whitehorse. Uh, I was like, uh, yeah, I think I could help you out. No problem. Yeah. Um, so funny. That's another stereotype. It's It kind of works uh, in Alaska, too, where not everybody is you know, scraping for resources next, necessarily and always just looking out for themselves. In order to get through the winters uh, in Alaska, you really have to look out for each other. So a lot of the rural communities are very, very friendly. And if you need something, they're willing to help and they don't you know, sound put off or make you feel horrible for having to ask for help. You know, people often go out of their ways to, to help people because they know at some point they're going to need that too. There's not that sort of desperation. I know that exists in the lower 48 and some of the smaller communities too, and even in your friend groups and whatnot, but it seems to be very prominent uh, in Canada as well as in uh, smaller American or uh, Alaskan uh, cities. Have you Have you found that as well? Yeah, absolutely. And in 2018, uh, when I was farther down the Yukon into Alaska, uh, uh, farther down river than I was on this past trip just a few days ago in Yukon territory, uh, we stopped into so many villages along the river and uh, the people were all overwhelmingly like welcoming. And uh, most of the times we were looking for something, whether it be like coffee, uh, a couple times we stopped into villages for coffee and multiple people helped us out. Uh, uh, random other odds and ends things. Uh, yeah, it was t- totally, I, I completely agree. Yeah. And they don't oftentimes, 
same with the white horse guy as well. They weren't even, yeah, they're not looking to, to necessarily trade or take something from you. They're just, uh, yeah, looking to help out. Yeah, that's pretty nice. It's the mark of a healthy, nice community. But at the same time, there's the, there's definitely an underbelly, and I'm sure that there's plenty of people who are willing to curse the visitors and the tourists and the unprepared oh, totally. people. <laughs> they just don't necessarily put themselves in a position where they might interact with those people and then be put in a position where they would uh, help. So. Um, yeah, exactly. And also, you can, you can kind of generally, at least I think, not always, oftentimes, sometimes you're taken advantage of, but you can usually tell, like, the people who are, you know, for lack of a better term, the underbelly are people who are kind of sketchy. You can usually get a pretty good feel for it quickly. Um, and yeah, avoid them. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, rest of the float, how was, uh, in, in general, what are some of the highlights? What were you kind of, what went, uh, broke down the, uh, the food and the whatnot, but what were some of the, the highlights of the trip? Altogether, uh, just the wilderness uh we had one campsite uh that was awesome it was on a place called walsh creek where we were overlooking uh like a tributary where a good sized creek flowed into the yukon we were right at the point there and uh had an awesome fire and a delicious meal and kind of stood and just got to overlook that like 180 degree water with the the tributary flowing into the main branch that was awesome um mostly just uh the crew the group of guys that uh that was all out there everybody just meshed super well uh you know we're just telling stories and uh shooting the breeze in the boats all day long getting around the campfire at night uh you know everybody doing their their task to contribute whether it's uh, you know, getting firewood, sawing, sawing firewood, uh, cooking dishes, uh, just everybody contributing and having a great time together, I think is, is kind of the things you remember in the stories that were told and, uh, the camaraderie of, of the group and how well you get to know somebody, uh, just from eight days in the wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely get to know people when you're out on those sort of campouts, backpacking, things like that. If people start to, you know, be a little bit lazy and they don't collect as much stuff or they don't seem to really do anything but use up the resources, it's kind of like, come on, man, like participate a little bit. But then you have the other people who are overzealous and love the chores and they'll get a ton of firewood because they enjoy it, you know, and they're not like, well, this is my day and I did this. It's just, hey, man, just do your thing, contribute. It's going to be fine. Yeah, and that's uh, this group was all that way, and uh, yeah, it, it was it was great. And what else uh, highlights? Mostly the paddling. The paddling was amazing. The water was moving fast. Uh, moving the canoes on the water is just super fun. Um, not a ton of wildlife. It was high water, as I mentioned. So. I have two theories. The first theory is that hunting season started there August 1st, the second half of the trip. So that pushes stuff back up uh, deeper into the brush. And then second theory is uh, it was high water. So a lot of the gravel bars mm. and sandbars where you would typically see animals hanging out were not there. It was like water pretty much right into the, the birch and willows. Um, so it was 
you know, animals are forced to, to kind of walk the water's edge deeper into the forest, uh, which makes it tougher to see. So not a ton of wildlife sightings. Uh, we saw a lot of signs, though. Wolf, some big wolf prints, uh, bear prints, um, like some small cat-type prints, um, bunch of eagles, all kinds of bald eagles. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Nice. So what's next? What's your next big uh, big float row canoe trip? We got one uh, one coming up in Moab, Utah, mm. uh, on the Green River uh, through Labyrinth Canyon. That's October sixth through the tenth. Um, that one's going to be a blast. Still, as of now, have a couple spaces open on that one. If anybody's interested, uh, it's four nights, five days, uh, and going to be awesome. It's uh, it's Along with the Yukon, it's on the bucket list of uh, top canoe trips in North America, I think. It's uh, super high red uh, bluffs and and cliffs all around. Um, It's almost like a Mars-type atmosphere. Hmm. It's a red desert and feels like you could be on another planet. Have you ever uh, ever been to Moab area or the Utah desert? Yeah, I went to... Moab, uh, gosh, two or so years ago, did uh, some hiking around. Um, oh, what's that uh, city kind of at the at the mouth of? Is it the Virgin River? And then the Virgin River goes up into. Okay, I'm not sure. I believe you. Oh <laughs> man. Yeah, so I spent a little bit of time in that uh, that area, but only yeah. once, only, okay. only once, but not not on the Green River. I have a friend who uh, said there's some pretty good, uh, pretty good fishing on there. St. George in the St. George area. Okay, I'm um, down there. Looking nice, at the yeah. Old, uh, it's it's a spectacular area, and this trip in in particular, uh, yeah, huge, big, uh, big walls. It's like Grand Canyon esque, and. Mm. Uh, there's one section called Bonat Bend, which is a famous famous section where the river kind of, uh, you know, does almost a 360 degrees. It's just a couple degrees shy where it goes downriver, and you can hike to the uh, saddle between the two bends and kind of see the river bend back on itself, which is pretty neat. Cool. I was thinking of Zion, so okay. I was in yep. Zion. So I was I was incorrect. I've not been to Moab. I've been to Zion. And, similar, uh, yeah. similar-ish, uh, but a uh, little different. But yeah, very, very similar. I think Zion has a little more green. Mm. Moab is uh, even more red and deserty and dry. And one of the cool things about uh, doing Moab via the river, uh, the Green River, or if so, lots of people do the Colorado as well, but uh, the Green River is, I think it's the best way to do it because anytime you're backcountry camping in the desert, like water is the number one concern. So you got to bring it or you got to hike to a water watering hole or somewhere with water. Um, but when you're in a canoe on the river, it's no problemo. There's water everywhere mm-hmm. and uh, it's the place to be in the desert. Awesome. Yeah. When, when did you say that was? That's October 6th. Nice. Very nice. And if someone wanted to go, where would they go to contact you or look that up? Uh, buffaloromer.com is a good place to start um it's the trip is listed on there and then uh, you could also 
either email me at buffaloroamer at yahoo.com if you have interest or uh, reach out on maybe Instagram, which is buffalo at buffalo underscore roamer. Any of those would be good. Awesome. That's actually a pretty good uh, closer right there. You have uh, anything else to add? I do not. No, other than uh, I'm excited sometime to hear about your uh, your caribou hunt and uh, your time up in uh, in the brooks and north of Fairbanks there. Sounds yeah, like it was a blast. that was pretty fun. Uh, my buddy and I are going to get together this weekend and uh, do the recap. He uh, he came back to work, and as a teacher, I don't have work, so I'm just trying to write as much stuff as I can during the uh, during the time that I have here. And then I got to head back up the mountains for for some deer hunting. So I'm busy, but in a non-work sort of way. So we're gonna we're gonna lay down the recap and probably get that out next week. Um, yeah, thanks thanks for having me on. Uh, and yeah, don't forget Buffalo Roamer podcast. Uh, subscribe, uh, check out that one there's episodes twice a month that drop you can find it uh spotify apple Podcasts, any of that fun stuff awesome thanks man i really appreciate it yep thank you jeff let's see it